From the strip club at the beginning of Short Circuit 2, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two of the only people who've actually seen Short Circuit 2, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. And, uh, <laughs> Corey, to whom do we, do we owe that opening? That little bit of input was brought to you by Brian Swagel. <laughs> input. Input. <laughs> Brian Swagel. Input. Input. I'm sorry. I know I gave it all away, but it just... It he was... sounds like E.T. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, voice kills me. By the okay. way, you know what was on when you uh, when you came over to record this podcast? What was War Games? Oh, it was yeah. Speaking of movies from that era that have uh, yes. genre movies from that era, yeah. I love War Games. It's a good film. It is a good film. Yeah. Ali Sheedy was cute. I mean, I, I mean, Back I have then. I have plot hole problems with it, but with you know, no, over time, don't. I've become a little bit nostalgic about yeah, of it. Of course, yeah, a little Come bit. On. Matthew Broderick, a little bit. Jumpy. A little bit jumpy. Another one. <laughs> Look at you. Well done. Wade, working it in. Oh, yes. Too damn so funny. So, um... Yes, Wade, what? Yes, what? I, oh, no. I, I, gotta, I, gotta, see, I see a big pile here. We got tons of stuff. We got way more than we're ever going to get through, so we should we should jump right into it. But we actually do have some listener mail. That what? I, and we, have, we, have a, we have a Vox Box that we're going to throw up later in the show, too. We do, and we don't, we don't have a song for Vox Box. So, nah, when, we so whenever, we, uh, whenever we have a Vox Box, I'm going to do this. It's Vox Box. That's oh, what I'll I, do. I'd really prefer that you not. Well, well it's going to happen. It, it's going to happen. Well, here's what we're going to do because Vox Box is later in the show, so we're going to uh, we're going to get a little bit of uh, uh, listener mail out of the way right at the top. And um, uh, speaking of, we, uh, we send your stuff to godsdigigods.com. Send us audio recordings for Vox Box. Send us your emails, your questions, your concerns, your your life hopes and dreams. Um, hate mail, anything that you want, you know, if you want to, whatever it is. Not more hate mail, Wade. We had enough sure. of that. Send us hate mail. It's Fox um, Box. <laughs> Kevin Maddox in uh, Lausanne, Switzerland, where I actually lived briefly. He told me that the tram now goes from Ushi all the way up to. It's like a like a it's a major deal now. Oh, Douchebag. I know. Uh, anyway, Kevin Maddox, uh, in beautiful, unbelievably, spectacularly clean Lausanne, Switzerland, writes us and says, I have a couple of Blu-ray questions for you guys. Do you have any idea when the Blu-ray for Quiz Show will be released? It's one of my all-time, it's, it is one of my all-time favorite films, and I can't find any information on it. I know it was released as a Region 1 non-anamorphic barebone DVD in 1999, and it was released in 2002 in Europe, this time anamorphic, but since then, nothing. It's a great film, and I find it strange that an Oscar-nominated film like this is given such poor treatment on home media. I'm thinking maybe you have access to this type of information. Uh, it's long overdue, yes. Uh, he, and there's a second part to his question, but first I'll address that. And we're actually going to talk about a couple of uh, Buena Vista classic films that are on Blu-ray uh, right now. We're going to talk about them today, one of which is Dead Poets Society, another one an Oscar winner, which kind of got a very unceremonious uh, you know, kick to, uh, to Blu-ray. And I think Quiz Show will probably get that same unceremonious kick sometime this year. Uh, Disney does not seem overly fond of the serious films that were made under sort of the, uh, the Touchstone or the Hollywood Pictures banners uh, under the Katzenberg and Eisner era. They, the, the, they don't seem to really care much about those or want to give them much promotion. They just kind of want to get them out there, and uh, that's probably what's going to happen to Quiz Show. Well, well, Quiz Show, which is 
just terrific. It's great. Paul Schofield, Oscar nominated. The thing is that the opening five minutes of that film is so well directed, it will blow your mind. If you want to see, if you want to watch Robert Redford at his level best as a film director, watch the first like five minutes of Quiz Show. It is, it's staggering how good that is. I agree. It's a terrific film. But again, it's an adult film. Yes. So I think that. With porn. With porn. So I think Disney is. Shying away or yeah. shying away from the or Touchstone Disney. Totally, they're shying away from those sorts of films Absolutely. in terms of Blu-ray. He also says, "I'm surprised so many classic films are still unavailable unavailable to buy on Blu-ray. Lawrence of Arabia, The Great Escape, Vertigo, etc. Do you think uh, they're taking too much time releasing films on Blu-ray? I'm pretty sure I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure six years after DVDs became available, every well-known title, especially classics, were available. Actually, no. Uh, it was you know like ten, twelve, thirteen years into the Blu-ray or into the DVD revolution, there was still a lot of films unreleased. And I think with Blu-ray, they just still don't feel that it's it's." Um, they don't feel the audience is there yet. You know, they, they're, they're, there's only, they're, there are only so many Blu-rays that are being bought every month. And there are only so many titles that the market can support. And I think they want to be, be very methodical and make sure that they don't create a glut so that there's a backlash against it. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a thing you have to pace yourself, you know. It's like a yeah, marathon. But, but the issue is it becomes, self, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't release the big movies so then nobody buys the big movies. True. So people think that nobody's buying Blu-rays. Yeah. You, you, you've got to be able to pepper those huge releases, especially the fanboy ones. Yeah, true. You know, the Star Wars and the Star Treks and all the, the big fanboy ones. You, you've, got to, you've got to do a better job peppering those. And also, when the classics come out, like when Lawrence of Arabia finally comes out on Blu-ray, it's going to make a splash. It's going to make a new splash. Well, Lawrence has been ready for some time. It's, I mean, that's the thing, is a lot of these have been ready. They're ready. They're sitting there. They're in the queue. They're waiting for that moment. They're, they're you know, hopefully going to pop at some point. And then Al in SFCA, that's uh, San Francisco, California, writes and says, I know in your hour-long DigiGods podcast, uh, you were filled to the brim with current DVD releases, but have you ever considered adding a brief program feature in which you and Mark each suggest to listeners to seek out your named selections of older, not-so-mainstream DVD titles, fiction or doc, still in print, out of print, anything deemed worthy of our interest or argument? And uh, he suggests the uh, 2001 film Cinemania as one that we might want to kind of stick in there as a great little cult title from... Uh, 2001, directed by Angela Christlieb and Stephen Kijak. Uh, originally released from Wellspring that went through a succession of uh, company changes before it finally became E1. Uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, Cinemania is a, a good little uh, weird, obscure, uh, kind of sleeper cult gem. Um, problem is that this is like, we, it's almost a slippery slope when you're doing this. You, 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 so many of the titles that you would wind up suggesting get re-released, they get special edition releases, then they're out on Blu-ray, and then your, your recommendation is obsolete almost 10 seconds. So it's such a dynamic, it's such a dynamic market right now. It's, it's tough to really wrap your arms around a, a segment like that. Well, also just, not that it's not a great suggestion, but just from a time perspective, you know, we go through... We don't even get to all the DVDs released in a week. It's insane. The new DVDs, yeah. let alone something that. And, and then, almost, by the way, that that's that's not to uh, that's not to poo-poo the idea, which is a great idea. No, it is a great idea. If the I'd show love to was, find a way. If the show was a couple hours, we could just recommend DVDs and Blu-rays all, all day long. And if a week was you know twenty-seven days long, it is on certain planets. Yes, it is. We should do this from Mars. No, it's Barsoom. Uh, you see, I, I thought you were going to go, no, we should do this from Uranus, which would be the, the typical w- 12-year-old comment. I used to be 12-year-old, 12-years-old. Yeah. In fact, I still am to some people. Wait, uh, you know, we don't we talk about Blu-rays on this show? Yeah, we do. We, 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 every once in Wouldn't a while. Wouldn't it be nice to do that? Yeah, we should. Like, maybe now? Okay, let's do it. No, do you no, to- no. You get that. 
There's all sorts okay, of big movies Okay, movies, out. new movies, new oh, movies, fine. Wait, get it with the program. You know, you want to tease people a little bit. All no, right. you don't. Uh, why not? You want to make them happy. Okay. We have to make our listeners happy. We'll make them happy, fine. Yes, we will. All right, uh, you know what's on Blu-ray this week? And a Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy, uh, combo disc that you should absolutely avoid at all costs is the new Footloose. It's Just awesome. So stay away from this. Um, it just isn't even... Uh, look, the original Footloose, I, I was working at the Man's National at the time. I was an usher. I saw or heard that thing probably close to 100 times. It's terrible. It's an absolutely horrible film. It's dreadful. Um, and yet, by comparison, oh my gosh, it felt like a masterpiece. Why would Craig Brewer go from Hustle and Flow to... to, the, to, to yeah, I mean, Black Snake Moan is in there. But he, he went... He, like, why? With, because- a, with such a promising career, why would you go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remake Footloose. I'm going to, you know what? I'm I'm going to do a studio film. I'm I'm yeah. going to do a, a paycheck movie. And, and you know what? When when they cast him as director, and I'm purposely using the word cast, cast him. I, I thought yeah. maybe that's interesting. Maybe he'll bring something to it, bring a richness, a depth, some yeah. characters to it. You know, because he is Craig Brewer. He's done I character guess. work in the past, but uh, didn't do that. Yeah, well, all right. Anyway, I mean, look, is the dancing better? Well, yeah, it's like everybody here looks like they, you know, walked, especially Julianne Huff, who literally walked off of Dancing with the Stars. They all look like they're auditioning for Dancing with the Stars. It's ridiculous. It puts it in another planet. Um, yeah, but, you know, whatever. I prefer the original film if I have to pick one, um, but this is, you know, is it fine? Blu-ray, sure, it looks perfectly fine. It's got ultraviolet on it so that you can... You can instantly stream this movie a million times in, from the cloud and on your palm and on your, on your foot and, uh, you know, everywhere that you really? want. You can watch this Footloose a hundred thousand times in a million different places and it'll suck every single one of them. Um, not much by way of special features. There's some, you know, featurettes and a commentary by Craig Brewer and uh, deleted scenes and it's just, it's really lackluster. There it is. That's it. That's all I got to say. Uh, wait, I know you love this film. I hated it. Uh, so we we are yeah, we, we are, are in disagree. rare 180 degree disagreement on like crazy totally total disagreement like crazy is a uh, was a Sundance film uh, it actually um, won the grand jury prize at Sundance this is with yep. Anton Yeltsin, uh, Yelchin who of course is uh, Mr Chekhov in Star Trek who, who I'm not really that fond of to be honest I'm not hugely fond of Anton Yeltsin I don't know what to make of that kid but I like him a lot in this but he's not the reason I love this movie uh, Felicity Jones. Oh. Is uh, you know what? Uh, of uh, for all the reasons I don't like this film, I think this film is is, is intellectually phony. Um, she, when you watch her, you think to yourself, "Okay, there's a find." Oh my god! They found this girl. This girl's well, the one. Yeah, I, I well, here's what I love about this film, and this is my one liner on it that I've said all along. I think this film captures the phosphorescence of young love better than any movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, if you've just been in that moment where things just burn brightly and fiercely and then just flame out just as, as quickly, it, it just it captures something that I've never seen captured on film before. It just felt totally honest to me. Um, but Felicity Jones is just magnificent. I mean, she is the most luminous thing I've ever seen on, on film since Audrey Hepburn. And I, and I know that sounds like crazy hyperbolic. But she's amazing. She's just she's absolutely magnificent, and that girl has an unbelievable uh, career ahead of her. Um, this is uh, this is on DVD. They, there is a Blu-ray that they have failed to get to us. Uh, they've failed to get us the Blu-ray, Paramount. 
That's true. So we're we're still waiting on that, and uh, we'll report on how it looks afterwards because I can't really assess the the DVD to be honest. I, it's it is what it is, but it's a beautifully shot film, and I'd like to see what it looks like in high def. Actually, the cinematographer is uh, does an audio commentary. Yeah, along with the director and the editor mm-hmm. of a movie that I don't like. But I love it. This, I this really love it. This movie has no substance to it. I no just, substance at all. It doesn't just, explore anything. It's just a bunch of people do lovey-dovey. They break up. They get back together. More lovey-dovey, 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 and then it's over. Phosphorescence. Phosphorescence. Yes. By definition, phosphorescence has no substance. <laughs> uh, Cinema Libre is releasing uh, – Everyone, you know, Cinema Libre is a small company, but they, they do get some, uh, some killers every once in a while. Uh, they picked up London River. This was released uh, last year in the, uh, well, or actually even possibly earlier this year. I can't remember exactly when the theatrical release was. Um, it was either early this year or late last year. Anyway, London River is uh, the English language film by Rashid Bouchareb, the Franco-Algerian filmmaker, previously did the Oscar-nominated Days of Glory and Outside the Law, both foreign language films. Um, and in this one, uh, he gets an unbelievable performance from uh, two extraordinary actors. Um, one of them is... Um, I'm going to try to pronounce his name. I swear it's going to kill me. Steve Jones. Yeah, because he won the the silver he won the silver bear for acting at the Berlin Film Festival. This is uh, Sotigi Kuyate, and uh, the other, of course, is the wonderful Brenda Blethen. I don't need help pronouncing her name. Um, this is this is the, it takes place against the backdrop of the uh, 2005 July 7th terrorist attacks. Uh, in England, and um, it's really amazing. It's about two people from completely different cultures, different religious backgrounds, who um, are brought together on that horrible day uh, by a search for their their children. And uh, it's really a, a, their respective children, and it's a, it's really a, a quite a beautiful film. Um, it feels a little bit more British TV than it probably should, but uh, really a nice departure for... Um, for the director, and I thought uh, an amazing pair of performances by uh, Kuyate and Blethen. So, uh, Rashid Bouchareb, bravo. I hope he does more stuff like this. I really do. Yes, I do. I know you do, but what am I? Uh, Reindeer Games is a, a very bad John Frankenheimer film. Uh, this is one of his last movies. He Why actually, did he do this? Huh? I don't know. Uh, it came out in 2000. Uh, Frankenheimer died uh, relatively soon after that. With the Ben Affleck, Gary Sinise, and uh, Charlize Theron, this is an action uh, thriller deal, and um, you know it's the director's cut of the film. Don't know how they uh, manage that one, since Frankenheimer's been dead for eight years. Audio commentary by Frankenheimer, probably done before he died. I'm going to guess on that. You're going to gas on that? Uh, Did you say you were going to gas on that? Yes, I'm going to gas on the uh, uh, Frankenheimer commentary being done before he died. Yes, he may have done it after he died. Not sure. All right, I'm thinking before. Uh, but this is not a good film. You know what? Uh, uh, the, the tragedy of this film is that, you know, Frankenheimer had done Ronin, which was a kind of a return to form for him, a real old school yeah. action movie I, that I really liked. And so now comes Reindeer Games, which puts him right back, you know, which puts him right yeah. back on, on, the, on the B list, right back into, 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 into that, you know, old man trying to be hip thing. Yeah. And in Reindeer Games, it just didn't work. So... I would pass on Ranger Games. I would also pass on Wyatt Earp's Revenge. Why now? When right, Wyatt Earp's Revenge. You're the you're the Earp master. Well, when I heard that Wyatt Earp's Revenge was happening, I thought um, maybe this is about Wyatt Earp's Vendetta ride. Now people don't people <laughs> See, don't know I don't, about. I don't, I don't, I don't know any of this stuff. You you've read all these books on Wyatt Earp. I'm people clueless. People don't know about Wyatt Earp's Vendetta ride. You know, after the gunfight at OK Corral, actually Wyatt Earp went on a Vendetta ride. He went out and. And just started killing everybody who was involved with the gunfight at the OK Corral. 
and the and the people who killed his brother. So um, it's kind of a big deal. It was a major part of his life. The Vendetta Ride. They call it the Vendetta Ride. I had no idea. Yes, it's true. Jeez, it was like like his death wish moment. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. It was a wide open Vendetta Ride. Um, anyway, so that's not what this movie's about. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's not about the Vendetta Ride. Um, this is about, supposedly based on a true story. Who knows? So much about Wyatt Earp is kind of made up anyway. Um, but this one is about uh, Wyatt Earp and a bunch of his buddies, including uh, Bat Masterson, the real Bat Masterson, mm-hmm. and a uh, bunch of other real characters from and Val Kilmer, Wyatt Earp's era. Val Kilmer does not play Doc Holliday again like he did in, uh, in Tombstone? No, he plays Wyatt Earp, That's and weird. he plays an older Wyatt Earp who is recounting the story of, of getting revenge... Um, for this vicious murder that does happened. he explain how Doc Holliday looks exactly like him? Uh, nor does <laughs> nor does he explain why he looks like just like Batman, <laughs> or Jim Morrison, or or Iceman, <laughs> or Iceman. Um, anyway, this is straight. This is straight to DVD stuff. It's really not very good, you know. And and so so much of this, so much of these wider Western movies are they're 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 so solemn. Done with such solemnity, you know, such seriousness of purpose. Yeah, whatever. And here it's kind of annoying. Um, anyway, so um, Val Kilmer is pretty much all you got to recommend for this movie. And you can tell they shot all of his stuff in like a two days. They're like, Val, get into makeup. We'll shoot you in two days. You're yeah. out. And you get top billing. Wow. There's plenty of other uh, better wide herb material out there. Got it. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to go through some stuff now that's getting a little bit lurid. Well, not the first one. Although there's a trio here from... Uh, from Warner Brothers in a moment, but first I'm going to talk to you about the uh, Miramax Lionsgate release of 54, a movie that should have been good, and it just wasn't. It should have had the, the Mike Myers dramatic performance, the career changer, and it just didn't. 54 was a, uh, a misbegotten film by uh, writer-director Mark Christopher, who really kind of dropped the ball on this. It was it basically the um, story of Studio 54, the uh, legendary disco club in New York, and it really should have been a movie about Steve Rubell, which is the character that uh, Mike Myers plays, and does pretty well, but it's like not really about Steve Rubell. It's more kind of about this, this young guy named Shane, played by Ryan Felipe, uh, and you know how he gets caught up in the whole scene, and it, it's just much more of a kind of a fictitious tapestry with Rubell kind of in the backdrop, and... Uh, you know, this crazy old lady who, like, loves to dance and shake her booty and then, you know, overdoses on cocaine. And there's all the So it really kind of does capture a little bit of the debauchery and the, the cautionary tale. But it just somehow it's a misfire. It never brings all the elements together. Its, uh, it's ambitions are, are so far beyond what it's able to really pull together. Uh, Sam Hayek and Nev Campbell are, are fine. Brian Felipe, this was kind of his first thing, his first uh, coming out party. Um, you know, others call him Ryan Felipe. I call him Steve. Do you know why? No. That's the name that he gives at, uh, at Carney's uh, when he orders his burgers, his chili burgers, so that people don't realize who he is. Have I told this story before? I'm um, sure I told this story before. Why not just say Ryan? Exactly. Is he getting it delivered, or is he picking it up? No, he was, like, standing in line in front of me at, uh, at Carney's, and he walks up, and uh, he does, puts his order in. They go, uh, name, please, because they always do, right? It takes, like, 12 minutes to do the thing. And he goes, Steve. And I go, really? Like, if you said Ryan, they're going to go, the guy from 54, right? Now, is he, well, it, like, is, is he saying that because he's, he's like, know. I'm so famous that I have to give a phony name I, because I have yeah, a huge probably. ego and you'd better know me and I know you know me. You're pretending not to know me because oh, I'm the guy so from famous. Crash. You're the guy from Crash. Best picture. That movie sucks. I know. 
No, I love Crash. No, the best. <laughs> anyway, um, here's a trio of, uh, of lurid things from Warner Brothers uh, that they yanked out of the library, and uh, they said, you know what? We'll release all three of these in, in one shot because we really can't get any juice out of these individually. So that's what they do. They get these things, and I'm like, hey, there's kind of a common theme here. You know, two of them have similar plots, and then, uh, you know, the other one has the same actress. So here we go. Get this. We got ourselves uh, nine and a half weeks disclosure and striptease. Um, because striptease and disclosure both have Demi Moore. Disclosure in nine and a half weeks kind of have sort of similar, somewhat kind of plots. Um, and uh, there's a striptease scene in nine and a half weeks, and like there's a lot of stripteasing and striptease. So it's all really one big grab bag of movies. Uh, get one, get them all. Uh, disclosure, of course, Michael Douglas and Demi Moore. And. Uh, you know, whatever. What can you say about this? Barry Levinson uh, was just completely off his rocker when he made this. He's, this was one of his. This was one of his attempts to go totally commercial and do like everybody else and do something you know based on a Michael Crichton novel, which were those things were being just turned into movies left and right. And at that time, it was John Grisham and Michael Crichton. If anything that they had written, my gosh, they were just turning them into movies left and right. And uh, you know what? Big deal. It's uh, you know sexual harassment was I guess all the rage in the headlines then and. Hey, Michael Crichton turned it into a novel. But is it a good movie? Not particularly. It's stylish. It's okay. It's not great. Uh, Michael Douglas is fine in it. Extras, no. Decent Blu-ray, fine. They just kind of kicked it out. Uh, Striptease, I'm a little bit more fond of. Uh, Andrew Bergman directed this, who I, I really actually kind of like. I um, I think the 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 actual book itself is probably considerably good because Carl Hyassen writes these really unusual, uh, tongue-in-cheek, very acerbic and cynical kind of books. Um, that doesn't translate here. In, in, by most objective standards, the movie probably stinks, but to me, more looks good, and uh, frankly, that's enough for me in this movie. Um, I don't think the comedy really comes across, you know, the, the whole uh, life of a striptease artist who's... You know. Anyway, this is the uncut international version, which means absolutely nothing. And then lastly, Nine and a Half Weeks, which is uh, just Adrian Lyne going uh, full-on stylish with Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger in an obsexual uh, affair, uh, you know, obsession and sexual, all at the same time wrapped together. And it's got a lot of those famous scenes in it, the dance scenes, the, you know, with the, uh, the, lev- the Venetian blinds casting uh, light on everything and the, you know, the ice cube and the alleyway and all that junk. Um, there's really nothing else going on here. Only thing we should point out, however, is that this, if this sometimes fe- seems a little bit more Zalman King than Adrian Lyne, well, Zalman King was a producer, and that would be the Zalman King, and, and a co-writer, but that would be the Zalman King who uh, recently died. And I find that, even though I thought his movies were crap, I still think that's really sad. It is. He had his. He had his little thing. He did have his thing. And he you had know, his red shoe diaries and his uh, softcore porn. The stuff. the thing that makes me a little bit sympathetic to Salman King, even though I think I thought most of his stuff was crap, there was an interview with him years and years and years ago on Entertainment Tonight or one of those shows, and somebody talked to him and they said, you know, some people think your movies are are pornography, and he just like went turned white. He he just went completely pale. And looked like he was pained. It looked like somebody had just daggered him in the heart. And he, and he said, pornography? No. Like, that was painful to him. And I thought, you know what? Even though your movies are crap, you care about them. Like, he really did. Like, they, he wasn't just just you some g- just completely useless uh, hack. He really, he, they weren't my kind of movies, but he really did care. To him, there was an artistry to it. And, and I had to, at that point, I had to kind of reevaluate my disdain for him. He's a uh, caring kind of pervert. Well, you know, he had a certain thing. 
Yes, you did. All right, Columbus Circle is a uh, forgettable uh, <clears throat> direct-to-DVD, direct-to-Blu-ray film. Selma Hayek plays an heiress who has not left her home for 20 years. Wait, Selma Hayek, not Selma Hayek, the other one, Selma Blair, has not left her apartment for yeah, 20 years. Yeah, because I was years. just talking about Hayek in 54. That exactly. confused, yeah. 20 years, Wade. Why? Selma Blair has been living in this big apartment and uh, hasn't left. Why? Which is crazy. So what happens is, uh, also in this apartment, her neighbor gets murdered. Oh, no. So Say when the neighbor's so. murdered, it no. sort of forces Selma Blair to get out of her shell and start to meet her neighbors and get involved. And, of course, that means nothing uh, but trouble, yeah, yeah. Wade. Nothing but trouble. In Columbus Circle, this is um, directed by George Gallo, who... Uh, the only thing George Gallo is still known for is writing uh, Midnight Run. But he's so good. He has talent. Gosh darn it, he needs to do more. I know. He also wrote the story for Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2, and he did write the whole 10 yards. But still, you know, Midnight Run is is still his biggest it, credit. It's great. Midnight Run is fabulous. Yeah. Uh, that's a movie. Is that on Blu-ray? Midnight Run? Midnight Run? Uh, I don't think it is. What? Anyway, so uh, Columbus Circle will do nothing to... Um, sure isn't. It was on HD DVD. Wow. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Columbus Circle will do nothing to um, up his cred. There's a couple good moments in it. It's bad. good cast. Selma Blair, uh, Amy Smart, Giovanni Ribisi, who I always like a lot, and I'm really sorry his career has not taken off. Bo Bridges and uh, Kevin Pollack and Jason Lee. Anyway, forgettable stuff, but uh, oh, there it is, Columbus Circle. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Wade, um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, one of the great Blu-rays, uh, one of the great comedies of all time, is oh, now yeah. on Blu-ray. It's actually been, it's been on Blu-ray a lot. It's been on DVD yeah, a lot. It it's been on Blu-ray a lot. It's been in Monty Python compilation DVD sets a lot. That thing's been on, th- this thing has been released more times than Evil Dead. Yeah, it's... it's, it's and that it's, says it's, a lot. Yeah. This one does have a bunch of uh, Blu-ray special features, which I do like, mm-hmm. since most of the most of the people, obviously, except for Graham Chapman, most of the people are still alive from True. Monty Python. I True. mean, they're still around to talk about and Monty I, Python. And I'm still waiting for them to do a feature film version of Spamalot before Tim Curry gets too old and while Mike Nichols can still direct it. Damn yeah, it. That's true. Get it done. Anyway, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, absolutely hilarious. Uh, if you already own it on Blu-ray, no reason to upgrade. The Blu-ray features are fine, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, if you have it on DVD, then I would go ahead and upgrade, quite frankly, because the Blu-ray looks good. Although it's an old film, and you do get a whole lot of Blu-ray exclusive uh, special features, lost animations, there's some outtakes and extended scenes that are uh, exclusive to Blu-ray, so uh, Python fans will like that. Anyway, so uh, I would say if you have the DVD, definitely upgrade to this Blu-ray. If you already have one of the Blu-rays, then meh, you know, if you love it, go for it. Bravo. Bravo. You know, 100 years ago, uh, Universal Pictures was founded by Carl Lemley. Did you know that? Uh, I thought you were going to say 100 years ago you were born. Yeah, close. 100 years ago, Carl Lemley founded Universal, and uh, today Universal does not bear his name, but Lemley Theaters in Los Angeles, they do. Um, Anyway, the uh, 100th anniversary Universal collection, uh, they're just blowing stuff out, and it's a little bit sloppy, I have to say. They're uh, kind of not really coordinating this whole celebration very well they're rebranding a lot of things and it's a it's a hodgepodge of stuff that's been released before that's being released for the first time some of the stuff is new to dvd some of the stuff's been on blu-ray before some of it's new to blu-ray they're not really differentiating very well and it's a little bit confusing and i uh, i think the person who's overseeing this really needs to focus a little bit 
Um, anyway, Deer Hunter was out on HD DVD previously. It is now out on a Blu-ray and DVD combo. <gasps> oh, you Deer betcha. Hunter. Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter. I used to have uh, two uh, Deer Hunter Blu-ray or uh, DVDs. <laughs> I thought you were saying... We, we just keep confusing. I blo- thought you were going to say two Deer Hunter action figures. Uh, for some <laughs> reason, like, can you imagine? <laughs> oh, yeah. I would make them play. I had the little deer, and then Did I had a little De Niro, and my little De Niro would shoot the deer. And then I'd go and I'd get my little uh, action figure of Christopher Walken, and he'd blow his brains out. Yes. I did that when I was ten. That you, you realize that those Russian roulette scenes to me, yeah. are the are is probably the the single most intense. It, it is ten minutes I've ever seen on film. I mean, in, I mean, just intense. The, I've ever seen. You know, the Deer Hunter was made in 1978. Best picture of that year. The only the only like film that people ever give Michael Cimino real credit for because he just became a persona non grata almost instantly after that but it is a great film it is a great 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 movie unbelievably good uh robert de niro was at his peak you know he was in that moment between godfather 2 and raging bull he was just the hottest thing in the world christopher walken was certainly up and coming he had done annie hall the year before where he scared the daylights out of all of us talking you know driving woody and uh and annie to the to the airport uh brilliant stuff and, uh, you know, Meryl Streep, for crying out loud. Give me a break. John Savage, who's out of his mind. Um, John Cazale, for, you know, also from uh, The Godfather. I mean, it, just, it's a, it was the right movie at the right time. And it was just so powerful and so beautiful. And it is such a good Blu-ray. Um, the HD DVD was all, obviously, they had really fine-tuned the high-def transfer. And, man, is this just gorgeous. Um, commentary with Vilmos Zygmunt, the amazing cinematographer who had done... Um, uh, won the Oscar for Close Encounters just the year before, and uh, it, along with film journalist Bob Fisher. So it's very, very serious because Vilmos isn't a great talker. So Fisher keeps it interesting, uh, and uh, you know some deleted scenes and extended scenes, and that's about it. But gosh, what a great movie! Let me and, see it. You could, you could, you could, you could, you could, you could but I have to give it back, don't I? Yes, you do, because I'm going to watch it over and over and over. Diddy Mao, that's all I have to say. Diddy and Mao. Out of Africa it has been out on Blu-ray before. It was just two years ago that they released the 25th anniversary Blu-ray of this, and uh, now they get this big, splashy, spanking 100th anniversary Universal Collector's Series uh, Blu-ray book, which you know is, a, is basically taking off from the stuff that uh, Warner Brothers pioneered. Uh, this has uh, the Collector Series uh, Blu-ray and DVD in it. It's got some uh, no, so-so Blu-ray exclusives in the, the pocket blue and beady live section of this. Most people aren't going to pay attention to it. Otherwise, you're just going to get the regular bonus features that we've all had before, the Sidney Pollack commentary, and uh, A Song of Africa, which is the documentary about the making of it, which is terrific. Deleted scenes as well. Uh, it, but it's, you know, it, I don't know that if you really love the previous uh, 25th anniversary release that you really need to upgrade. This is pretty much the same thing. It's just splashier and it's got the booklet aspect to it. But a gorgeous Blu-ray, just the same. Love that John Barry score. Uh, oh, absolutely. And then a couple other titles here in the Universal uh, series, the, uh, the anniversary series. Uh, My Man Godfrey, these are both DVDs. Uh, My Man Godfrey and Sullivan's Travels. Um, You know, Sullivan's Travels, a great uh, 1942 film that uh, was sort of the peak of Preston Sturges' genius. Uh, Now, here's here's the thing, though. Hmm. Let me see this. I'm a huge Preston Sturges fan. Right. And I have the Preston Sturges... a box set, which is D, which is uh, DVDs. This is the same transfer, exact same transfer. Yes, but this is 
Blu-ray and it's cool. No, it's not Blu-ray. It's not. It's a DVD. Oh, it is a DVD. It is a DVD. Oh, this is this. That. Yeah, <laughs> this is the problem. They're not. You know, the the uh, the packaging too on the whole you know, 100th anniversary thing is uh, a little bit sketchy because they don't sufficiently differentiate apart from size between the Blu-rays and the DVDs. But uh, you know, Sullivan's Travels uh, out again, nice new packaging, not a different transfer, uh, just, but it does have some you know special 100th anniversary featurettes on it about the two different eras of Universal. One is the Carl Emley era, the other is the Lou Wasserman era. Boy, were those two different eras. And then uh, My Man Godfrey uh, also has those same two featurettes on it, the Lemley and the Wasserman era uh, featurettes, but My Man Godfrey is just such a fun film. And this has been out before as well, but, uh, you know, William Powell, my goodness, he was just... What was, what was it about William Powell? Like, why was he just so... He was like, he was like, he was like Higgins on Magnum, but like, you know what I mean? It, it, it's the mustache. It's everybody with a thin mustache. He, he, he just, I don't know. He never became like that, that enormous mega star like so many others, but nobody could spit dialogue out like William Powell. Well, like that all guy those, was, he was the man with dialogue. Well, was the, just all, all that thin man stuff. Oh. I mean, who else is going to be in, who else is going to start in the thin man but William Powell? True. Uh, Way to Catch a Thief is out on Blu-ray. And we're very excited about that. This is the uh, 1955 um, Grace Kelly, Cary Grant's kind of uh, thriller directed by Alfred Hitchcock. This is actually the last time that Grace Kelly appeared with uh, in, a, in a film by Alfred Hitchcock because then she would go on to become the Princess of Monaco. Excuse me. Um, the film did win an Academy Award, was nominated uh, for a couple more Academy Awards, and uh, it's really it's really fun. You know, Cary Grant plays a uh, he's a he's a cat burglar, he's a jewel thief, he's on the French Riviera. Love it. And all of a sudden, uh, there's a bunch of uh, bunch of uh, jewels being stolen in the French Riviera, and uh, is it Cary Grant? Did he do it? Is the cat guilty? Got to watch the movie to find out. Totally. And, yes. Anyway, lots of special features on this, including a commentary by. Um, uh, Drew Casper, a Hitchcock, Hitchcock historian who's also a very good talker, knows the stuff, good stuff. Uh, a couple featurettes, a travelogue, which is kind of fun because the film takes place in the south of France. And uh, there's a making of, which is terrific. There's also a Cary Grant and Grace Kelly um, featurette, which tells you a little bit about their relationship. And this is great stuff. To Catch a Thief is just terrific fun from 1955, really good stuff, and highly recommended on Blu-ray that I'll be keeping. Um. Huh? Another Universal 100th anniversary release, this is the last one of these this week, is Charade. I, uh, I can't be too excited about Charade on uh, Universal DVD because it's just so much better in Blu-ray form uh, from Criterion. Oh, so, God, please. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, so this is a no-brainer. I mean, it's... Don't, don't buy this. Buy don't, the Blu-ray. Yeah, get the, get the Blu-ray. But um, here's, here's a Blu-ray that I can unreservedly recommend. Uh, seriously, this I, I am so excited about. Mark, uh, you know, um, it's not often that you get to that, that we get to talk about a film that has broken records for the number of nominations that it received. You know what? You're right. And this is special. This is really special. The most nominations ever received by a film in the history of what award? The Razzies. The Razzies, that's it. Jack and Jill, Adam Sandler. Congratulations, Adam Sandler. Um, you, you set a new record at the Razzies. Um, Jack and Jill is, is, um, is a grotesque abortion of a film. And this is why I want Adam Sandler, if you're listening, Adam, 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 listen to me. Adam, you're a good actor. 
you're very talented, but you're in your 40s. You need to be a real actor for a change. Be a real actor. Don't make dumb comedies anymore. Make real movies. Look what happened to Eddie Murphy. You know, Eddie Murphy I, yeah, started totally. doing these family films, and oh, you know what? No. I'm sure he got paid a lot of no. money, but he ruined his reputation, and, is... and, and only being in Dreamgirls got him remotely back on track. Adam has done some amazing work in things like uh, Rain on Me, Rain Over Me with with that Don Cheadle. He was just amazing in Punch that. Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. Paul Thomas Anderson. He was phenomenal in that film. Uh, Jack and Jill is not what he should be doing. This, uh, if you, if you insist, uh, yeah, this is this is a you know it's a Blu-ray DVD combo pack. It's got some featurettes in the BD Live section. It's uh, got deleted scenes and a bunch of horrible featurettes. And it's just it it's it's a dreadful movie. You know, you, you've seen the commercials, you've seen the trailers. He plays himself and he plays this, his horrible sister and it's, it's just awful. It's like when Eddie Murphy was, was playing all those multiple roles except this just feels terrible. No, don't do this, Adam. Make real movies, please, for all of us. It's do just, it. It's just sad. It's just sad and soul-sucking to see oh, him do stuff terrible. like that. Awful. Uh, Wade, you know, with Clash of the Titans came all sorts of... Uh, actually, here's the thing. With first, there was 300. Oh, jeez. Then there was Clash of the Titans. Oh. Now, right after that was Immortals. Which is from the producers of 300, because you can't get enough men wearing skirts <laughs> in these films. It's All about men wearing skirts. It just skirts. looked like another video game movie. It just it looked like a horrible, soulless video game movie. You know, it's another one of those hyper-stylized comic book uh, come-to-life films. Um, it's got an okay cast, Man. including uh, Henry uh, Cavill, whatever his name is, who's yeah. going to play Superman. Yeah, Mickey Rourke is in it. It's Frida Pinto, Frida Pinto who um, she's... Uh, I don't know about her. She's so beautiful, but um, she's not a great actress. Yeah, <laughs> she wasn't really good in Planet of the Apes. Although, in the, although the thing with the, the although the thing, the thing with her role in Planet of the Apes it was a terribly written role. It was like a it was thinner than thin. Yeah, but she's not a good enough actor to do something with a thinner than thin role. It's just whatever's on the page is what yeah. she's going to play. Uh, but she's gorgeous, and that's all I know. Anyway, Immortals uh, looks great on Blu-ray. There's no reason why it shouldn't. Uh, there's an alternate. You see, a lot of Blu-rays have yes. alternate endings. Mm-hmm. This one, mm-hmm. alternate beginning. Oh wow! It Look does. at that. I'm just. I'm, I'm not making Fantastic. that up. It's and it's great. They actually play, the alternate beginning is actually the first three minutes of Lawrence of Arabia, so it's a lot better. <laughs> and then the real movie starts and it gets bad again. Anyway, the Blu-ray looks fa- uh, fantastic. There's no doubt about that. It's also on DVD, um, but I would pass because it sucks. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. All right. Um, you know what, Mark? Um, we were talking uh, earlier about the uh, the Disney, the, the classic films that Disney is not necessarily doing right by on Blu-ray. And here we have a couple of them, Dead Poet Society and uh, Good Morning Vietnam by Barry Levinson. This is a good film by Barry Levinson, both of these with Robin Williams. And uh, I got to say, I wish that they had done better Blu-rays. These do not feel like they were – you know what these feel like? That we talk, we've used to talk about this where, you know, with DVD transfers, you could tell where there was one where they would, you know, somebody would actually pay attention and they would fine-tune every aspect of the transfer to make sure that the compression was right in certain places. And then there are the ones where, you know, the monkey just throws the switch and just lets the machine go and there's no particular tension. And that's how I kind of feel like these. Um, you know, both of these are great films. They are terrific films. I think Good Morning Vietnam is, is just a wonderful movie. It just hits every emotion. And uh, it's not a very impressive uh, Blu-ray. They could have done and should have done a better job with both of these. Now, that being said, I'm going to recommend them because it's better than the DVD, obviously. But they need to do a better job with these. Um, 
lots of extras here, just but it's it's all sort of you know the generic stuff you've seen before, uh, you know just featurettes and uh, there's an interesting cinematography masterclass on uh, Dead Poet Society, audio commentary uh, with Peter Weir is and John Seal and uh, uh, Tom Schulman who won the Oscar for writing it uh, is very very good, but I've you know it's it's not new, uh, so anyway these are these are fine they're kind of phoned in. But um, I want to I want to talk about something else, Mark. You know, movies that we love, and you think you love them, and then you revisit them years later, and you go, "What the hell was I thinking?" You ever had that experience? All the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I was so excited back in the day by the movie Perfect Weapon. Uh, I, I used, to, you know, I studied Kenpo Karate when I was a kid. I, I was real big on Kenpo Karate because you know Ed Parker, and it was it was just, I was into martial arts, and that was the style. And I, I was like, everybody always does kung fu and karate. Nobody ever did Kenpo on film. It'd be nice to see somebody do Kenpo. There's a really bad, horrible movie from years ago where Ed Parker and uh, Bong Su Han kind of do Hapkido versus Kenpo. And I know we're losing listeners left and right, right here. And it was a Ed horrible. Ed Parker film. was the big. Uh, he was the big guy. He was the big Kenpo guy. Yeah, yeah. My well, stepmother's brother used to was a. Uh, Kempo Ed Parker yeah. teacher in that really? same because didn't Ed Parker have a um, on Santa Monica Boulevard? Uh, that's where that's where where my, the high rise is right now. That's where my ex stepmother's brother would teach also with Ed Parker. What was his name? I, I have no idea. This is you like, have to find that this out. It's like twenty five years ago. That's probably his last the, name was what was his last name? His last name might have been Dolem. You got to find that out because he might have been one of my teachers. That's possible. I mean, I I did. I was on. I was like on the purple belt track. I was doing pretty well until my you know knee went cuckoo. Oh yeah. But, but anyway, speaking of all of that, Jeff Speakman is a guy who uh, kind of popularized Kenpo in the early '90s. He uh, he you know good looking, rugged kind of uh, action hero guy with pectorals that you could you know there was almost like a shelf you could put a dinner plate on. And uh, he came out suddenly and did this movie, The Perfect Weapon, and I thought, oh, my gosh, finally we've got our, you know, he's, he's going to be the Jackie Chan or the Jet Li or the, you know, the Bruce Lee of Kenpo. And I thought The Perfect Weapon was the coolest movie. It had Professor Tanaka in it, who always plays the big, uh, crazy Asian bad guy. This movie was so freaking awesome. I just, I loved his fighting in it. I thought it was so cool. I just revisited this thing uh, on Blu-ray and on DVD from Olive Films. Um, it's terrible, Mark. This movie is so bad. It's terrible. It's just so bad. It's, I couldn't it, it, defend it. It's like Steven Seagal time. It was like revisiting Good Guys Were Black and just realizing that my Chuck Norris memories were not all that I thought they were. I just watched this and I just wanted to cry. And I just thought, oh, the movie in my head is so much better than the movie it really is. Uh, but, you know, Professor Tanaka is always fun. Um, by the way, there's a, there's a Chuck Norris film. Um, oh, gosh, which one is it? Uh, it's got Dragon in the title. But uh, Professor Tanaka has probably the best line ever in that one where uh, he, he, he's, like, just raped Chuck Norris's girlfriend. And uh, he, he says, your woman was very, very good. And uh, I, I, I've always been very touched by that moment. You know, honestly, it made me cry. Yeah, totally. And then lastly, speaking of movies that we revisit, um, you know, when, uh, when I was back around uh, working in those theater days again, Vision Quest came out. This was the movie that Madonna first appeared in just singing in the background of one scene, uh, directed by Harold Becker, who would later go on to do uh, Sea of Love with Al Pacino. Um, and uh, this is just, uh, you know, it's, it's like a wrestling movie. Matthew Modine is, uh, you know, a high school wrestler and winds up having uh, an affair with a kind of a cool older woman played by Linda Fiorentino. And um, 
I, I remember liking this movie at the time, and I kind of still like it. It sort of, it sort of holds up, uh, partly because it's got great cinematography from Owen Roisman, but also because I think it was just beautifully produced by John Peters and Peter Goober. That was a joke. Uh, you know, not for <laughs> now Vision Quest. Anyway, that's from the uh, Warner Archive collection. You can get it at warnerarchive.com. We're talking uh, a, a a Blu-ray uh, a, or not a Blu-ray, but a, a DVD-R here, a DVD-R. So don't expect this to be uh, you know state-of-the-art DVD. But it's nice that it's out finally. Wait, uh, two other movies that it's nice. It is out finally. Yes, finally, I didn't say that right. Yeah. Uh, on the Bowery is a. Uh, did we talk about On the Bowery last week? No, no, no. We didn't get to it. On the Bowery is a uh, landmark documentary from uh, mm-hmm. 1957. Sure is. And uh, this film was directed by a guy named um, Lionel Rogason. What, what, what or Rogason? I guess what Lionel Rogason did was he spent a, he spent a bunch of time on the Bowery in the mid 50s, early mid 50s. And the Bowery was about as rough as you can possibly imagine, and yeah. it was just it was just the repository for these half dead old men and some women too. All they cared about was where they were going to get their next drink. Yeah, they were they were homeless, they were destitute, they were drunks, yeah. and they all lived on the Bowery. And it's it's true. It was that's how the Bowery was. It's a great film. And so uh, Rogerson, what he did was he actually made a. 65 minute film with a little bit of a narrative spine there's a little bit a bit of a story in there tiny story in there but it featured all these people who really lived on the Bowery so they're unprofessional actors uh, but Rogerson he insinuated himself into their lives and he created this film and it was a it was a big controversy at the time some people hated it because it was so raw some people loved it it did wind up being, I think, nominated for an Oscar, and I think it won a British Academy Award. And uh, now it's kind of a bit of a classic. It's a great film. It is a totally unique, totally raw, unprofessional actors, black and white. You've never seen anything like it. You, re- you will just want to take a shower after it's done because you feel like you have lived on the Bowery with these people. You really do. And, and so many of them, you know, they really did die afterwards. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're watching a historical artifact in a very moving and disturbing way. Well, you watch, you know, there's two discs on this, and uh, there's a lot of great bonus features, including, you know, there's a, a making of where you really do find out what happened, as Wade says, to these people. Some of them really did die after filming. There's a Scorsese introduction, which, of course, shows you right there how important the film is because Scorsese lent his uh, time and talent to the uh, introduction. And it's great stuff. It's only 60 – here's the thing. It's only 65 minutes. It's not going to take up a lot of your time. But if you want to see a documentary, unlike any you've ever seen, you must see On the Bowery. Yeah, I agree. And you're taking this back from me, aren't you? Hmm? Oh, uh, well, you know, we'll we'll barter, dude. Uh, We'll barter. Track 29 is finally on DVD. This is a Nicholas Rogue film. Now, when a film is directed by Nicholas Rogue, uh, basically it means it is totally and completely unhinged. 
and that's what this film is. We've talked about Nicholas Rogue before. He was, uh, you know, he was he a was, cinematographer he, he for many years. He was David Lean's camera operator on Lawrence of Arabia. He was uh, promoted to DP for Doctor Zhivago until Lean realized that he was completely crackers and just said, "No, you're not going to make my movie look weird." And that's when they had a falling out, and he went over and he did uh, Mask of the Red Death for Roger Corman. And he's been completely out of his mind ever since. Now, Nicholas Rogue's uh, girlfriend uh, and b- wife uh, was Teresa Russell. Now, yes. Teresa Russell, back in the day, she, mar- she married a crazy man, and then she made movies with another crazy man sharing her own name, Ken Russell. What, what was it? Was it horror that they made together? What was the what was the Ken Russell? Uh, it was the Russell. the White Worm. Le- yeah, it was one of those. Yeah, no, it was horror. And then she, of course, with with uh, Rogue, she did uh, Eureka, which was also a whole bunch of other people, including Rutger Howard. Did you ever see Eureka? I, I, it's I, so long ago. Speaking I'm... of Nicholas Rogue, Eureka yes. was on the shelf for something like four years, and then it finally got released. And I went and saw it with Dave Barnblatt, our friend Dave Barnblatt, who I'm going to have breakfast with on Friday. Uh, Dave and I went and saw it at the, um, the uh, Crest in Westwood which may have been the Metro at the time. They changed it to the Metro and then back to the Crest. Anyway, that theater. We went and saw it there before the big remodel back in whatever it was, 84, 83, something like that, 82, can't remember. And um, it, w- it gave us both a headache. It, the photography actually gave us a headache. It was just so insane. Well, but that's... Gene Hackman in it, by the way. That's the hallmark of his films. They're I insane. know, they give you headaches. Well, track 29, which also... Uh, Stars uh, recent Oscar nominee finally Gary Oldman. This okay. This is a this is what Track Twenty Nine is about. It's about a uh, doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now this doctor, he's obsessed with model trains, and he spends his days worrying about model trains and having an affair with one of his nurses. And the doctor's wife tires of this situation. He's tired of the fact that his his wife is. Uh, I don't like where this her, is going. Her, her husband is uh, obsessed with model I, trains all day long. I don't like That's where this ridiculous. is going. So she winds up obsessing about the son who she had given up for adoption many years earlier. And that's what the film is about. I just, I did, really? Yes. It's a, it's a, it's, you know what, it's, it's, not, it's not a bad film. I mean, look, Nicholas Rogue, Gary Oldman, it's, uh, Teresa Russell, these, these are not untalented people. No. So it's not like it's a bad film. But again, if it's a Nicholas Rogue film, you really have to know what you're getting into. Yeah, all right. It's just a bit unhinged. <laughs> Track 29 oh, On DVD, not Blu-ray Yeah Also on DVD And this is our uh, last movie of the week It is? Well, we're going we're gonna to go into some cartoons here in a second uh, for, this is, we, we actually have uh, had a listener write in about this is the movie Modus Operandi. And we'd got an email from Christian Kaczynski who said, uh, Hey, fellas, just wondering if you've got a copy of the movie Modus Operandi by Frankie Latina. Uh, besides being a fun film, it's also one I'm proud to say I was involved in. It stars Mark Borchert and Denny Trejo. It's a nod to the exploitation genre, but not in a comedic vein similar to Black Dynamite. If you had a chance to watch it, love to hear what you thought, good, bad, or otherwise. Love the show. Well, you know, we're going to talk about Modus Operandi. Uh, which I finally got a chance to watch. And uh, you know what? It's funny because there was another uh, Danny Trejo film this week that I was supposed to talk about on the radio, which we didn't get to. Um, you know, but, Wade, before we talk about the film, because yes, when, when, when you mentioned Danny Trejo, I just, I just had to go on IMDb. Yes. And I just had to see how many actor credits hmm. Danny uh, it's, Trejo it's, has. It's got to be insane. It's got to be like 300 films. Danny Trejo has 228 actor credits. <laughs> and, and, and that's and that's as of this particular sitting of the, yeah. I mean by the time the show is over you, you could have another 40 
Well, he's in full machete mode here, uh, and it really, you know what, I think it's better than machete, frankly. I thought it was a lot more fun. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's like, it's a, I mean, I guess we could call, we could call it a spy film. Uh, it's certainly not like any spy film that I I recall, but it's, it's like a grindhouse spy film. And, uh, it, it really, it's, you know what, I'm sorry, there's just, where you have characters named Casey Thunderbird and Black Licorice, there's that there it is it's just it's like this weird mashup of all these exploitation concepts in a really kind of fun and outlandish way and uh it, you know apart from Danny Trejo there's really nobody in it that you're you're going to care about or you know Mark Borchard probably has a certain profile to some people but anyway I I hope uh, I hope Frank Latina gets more work I really do I hope he does more stuff so I thought it was enormously fun and uh, really a, a nice surprise. So, Christian, good job. I'd love to hear more. Email us back and tell us uh, some cool stories. Tell us what Danny's like kicking it at the, uh, at the craft services table. Love to hear that story. So, Mark, I think it's time for Voxbox. No, no, it's not. No, it's not Wait. time for Voxbox? It's, no? it's time for... It's Voxbox! Gentlemen, I'm glad to make my debut on the Voxbox! All right, so on the eve of the opening of John Carter, and I hope that this does not happen to John Carter, but my thoughts go to high-end potential franchise movies that just did not make it. I'm thinking about Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow and The Rocketeer and The Last Starfighter. Good movies that, for whatever reason, didn't catch on with the audiences. Uh, Do you have any recommendations of some cool franchise movies that are worth a second glance that Hollywood or the world did not embrace, and therefore there will be no sequels for ever again. Take care. All right, that was Mario Mendez in Glendale, who previously had sent us uh, another audio question before it was Voxbox about uh, A-list directors that we would bench. Um, And a really good question, actually, about uh, films that should have been franchise films. uh, I'll give you two. Give me two. Well, he says ones we should revisit. I'm not sure about the, the revisiting part. But the one film, you got to admit, hmm. which actually had sequel implications in the title. I'll give you two as well, but keep going. Remo Williams, The Adventure it's Begins. So true, so true, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll give you two, and we're going back a ways here, but um, one of them is Doc Savage, which I thought was such a cool, crazy... I mean, it's, it's part of the Warner Archive release now. You can get it on DVD finally with uh, Ron Ely as Doc Savage. I just thought that could have been a cool franchise. I think it would be a cool franchise still to resurrect. I think you could do a lot with You're Doc kidding. Savage. Doc man, Savage? Doc Savage, Man of Bronze. Oh, oh my gosh, you could do so much with that. You really could. You could have so much fun with that now. I mean, really, it's, a, it's great material. It's great material. You know, you, uh, here's, here's what you should do. You should throw $250 million at Andrew Stanton and have him do Doc Savage. No, you don't. You throw $25 million at Doc Savage, and you just jack up the cast with great names, people who want to have fun, and it winds up being like a, like an Ocean's Eleven thing. I mean, really, you could have so much fun with it. You could have so much fun. And the other one, you're going to love this. Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah, that's right? a good one. Right? Yeah, they never made a sequel to that. Never made a sequel. That's a good one. You know, Mark, just remember, no matter, no matter where you no go. No matter where you go. No, no, it's no matter where you are. No. What? You, it, the, the way it's, no matter where you are, there you are. No, it's no matter where you go, there you are. No, it's no matter where you are, there you are. Really? Yeah. I always thought it was no matter, no matter where you go, there you are. Oh, we'll have to look that up. Look, See, I, right I, I, look it up right now. Because I, I remember it is no matter where you are, 
There you are. There you Check it out. Check it out. See which one it is. It's funny either way. Also, but, but uh, right? Wouldn't that have been a great, great franchise? The other one I'll say, by the way, is uh, is Independence Day. They never did an, an, an Independence Day. Well, where do you go Day. from that? Where do you go from that? The it's aliens not... come back. Oh, jeez, no, please spare us. Buckaroo Banzai. That, that, That's that, the best one. That and it's too bad because I mean Jeff Goldblum. Uh, that whole cast was amazing. Peter yeah. Weller. It, yes. it, it, that would have been an amazing cast. Bring them back. Let them have fun. Do three or four of them. No Ten, matter where fantastic. you go, there you are. That's what it was. It was. Yes. So you were right. You were right. Well, it's still funny. Yes, it is. It's still funny. No matter where you go, there you are. What did you? What, what? What did you think it was? No matter where you are, there you are. Well, you know, things change in your mind over time. Um, you know what? We're going to blow through uh, a, really quickly a lot of um, uh, animated stuff right now because this, this is just it's piling up, and we got we got people who have kids. We got to tell you about the the fun things that you can keep your children occupied with, and uh, so that you don't have to hire a babysitter and you don't have to pay attention to them or love them or feed them or anything. Really, it's great. You just throw this stuff on the on the DVD player, and they'll sit there like magnetized to the TV screen, and uh, they no longer require your love or your sustenance. And this is what you want to do it with. Uh, there's My Little Pony. Friendship is magic. The Friendship Express. Uh, all little, little colored ponies. This is primarily for little girls. I don't know that little boys will be all that uh, enamored of this. Um, uh, little boys, however, will be enormously enamored of Thomas and Friends. Up, up, and away. Those little CGI trains. High flying adventures with Thomas. Um, we're going through this quickly, Mark. I'm not. I'm not wasting time here. Uh, for the little girls, on the other hand, if they aren't interested in My Little Pony, they'll be thrilled by Angelina Ballerina, Ballerina Princess. Um, I frankly find these weird little uh, kind of mouse-headed uh, princess ballerina things just freaky as all can be. I, I kind of want to, you know, I keep hoping that some, they'll get caught in a mouse trap, um, and then I, I just turn it off because I'm not four years old and I don't really care. Little girls will also be thrilled by Barbie in A Mermaid Tale. I personally find it unbelievably crass that they have taken a mass market toy and somehow turned it into a CGI animated, uh, weird, creepy looking cartoon figure heroine. Uh, but, uh, and this has outtakes of all things, which is so weird. It's so bizarre. But it's really Barbie just being more like a cross between Gidget and uh, Ariel from Little Mermaid. And we also have VeggieTales, Robin Good and his not-so-merry men. VeggieTales perplexes the daylights out of me. I've never really understood it. Uh, it's, it's like something that should be on adults. It's like halfway between Adult Swim and Teletubbies, and it's kind of freaky. But you know what? Uh, the kids thoroughly love it. Mark, did you ever watch uh, the Pac-Man series? I did, actually. Did you? I did, because it was Pac-Man. It's just so wrong. It it, it made no sense. It made absolutely no sense. Well, the Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection, and this is when Hanna-Barbera was just, they didn't care anymore, clearly. Uh, As part of their ongoing relationship with the Warner Archive uh, collection at warnerarchive.com, they've released the first season of Pac-Man, which is just the most, uh, you know, it's nostalgic and sad. 13 episodes on two discs. Uh, It it, it doesn't date well, i got to tell you. Uh, you know, abominable Pac-Man, Pac-Venture, all that stuff. It's very, very strange. Uh, also out there, uh, before we completely run out of time on this week's show, I've got to put a big shout-out. It's all been available before, but now we have the complete series in one box set. The complete collector's edition of Underdog on nine discs, all three seasons, finally in a single box set. They'd released the three seasons separately before, but Shout Factory has given us the full underdog experience this time and I grew up on this I just I think this is one of the greatest things ever of all time by the Uh, way if you're a Met fan underdog yeah yeah 
has a special meeting this week. Really? Why? Yes. Well, because, you know, the Mets are going to suck this year. Uh, and well, everybody knows that. Okay. And even the Mets in their heart of hearts know they're going to suck. So what happened was um, there was a plan hatched. And when the players showed up to the stadium or to, to the spring training facility a couple days ago, right? everybody was given a shirt. It was a blue shirt because the Mets colors are blue with, I believe, an orange or a red U on the front to show that the Mets this year are all underdogs. Oh, that's sweet. And the team, half the team thought it was cute. Uh, some of the team didn't know what underdog was. And other members of the team hated it because they don't like the idea that they're going into the season as underdogs. But the whole idea was that management said, wouldn't it be cute? And the manager, Terry Collins, signed off on this. Wouldn't it be cute if we give every player a T-shirt with a big underdog you wanted to acknowledge in a, in a kitschy, fun, charming way that, that the team is a group of underdogs? Well, with that, we've got to go out. So everybody, be an underdog. <laughs>